0: And in this inaugural episode of Yanto Yan, Ranita Mahal chohora talks with Charlie Daswani and then with Raj Sital of the Indian Chamber of
1: Commerce about the arrival of Indians in Hong Kong.
2: Yanto Yan. Literally translated, it means Indian. When the Union flag of the United Kingdom was hoisted on the 26th of January, 1841, there were around 2,700 Indian troops that participated and they played an important role in the development of Hong Kong in its early days. The most prominent contributions, perhaps, were the founding of the Hong Kong University, the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation, known now as HSBC, and even the Star Ferry in 1888. By 1952, business leaders of the Indian community founded the Indian Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, which aims to promote and improve the image of Indian trade in Hong Kong and southern China. For the next six weeks, we'll be exploring the lives of the Indian community here in Hong Kong through this special summer series called Yanto Yan. though just about every Indian subcommunity is represented here in Hong Kong, we tend to think of Indians as largely the Sindhis. Charlie Daswani, a long-time Hong Kong resident, says that the Sindhi community is nomadic. Just as they reached other parts of the world, they also came to live and settle here in Hong Kong.
1: Sindhis were uh, like you call like Jews, you see. There's no not a, not a single part of the world where you not find a Sindhi. It's, uh, when we were in Sindh, all our, in, in Sindh, the community was divided into, uh, various Sindhis. Sindhis, uh, we mostly traveling abroad were originally from Hyderabad, Sindh. Hyderabad, Sindh, the Sindhi language of Hyderabad, Sindh is like, uh, British, you know, the, 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 the speaking is completely different. You have a lot of Sindh coming from upper, uh, countryside. They don't speak Sindhi as we speak. It's a, it's Sindhi, but it's different. So we were called, uh, there were two main communities in uh, Hyderabad. One, you, you speak Amil, that means educated. They used to go for higher degrees and they were all working for civil service. They were teachers, they were in government jobs during the British colony. And we were Calvanians and we used to travel abroad. That means, uh, like, my father was working for uh, the company, another company, D. Chalaram, uh, is still here in Hong Kong, and my father was working for them in in Canton. There was no Hong Kong. Hong Kong before was up to only uh, Nathan Road, the colon. And Hong Kong was a British, British like Hong Kong. So we used to always travel. That means most of the our business, uh, uh, these the forefathers were traveling. My grandfather was uh, in uh, Ghana. My uncle was in Ghana. We had a business in Ghana. My father was here. He traveled to Japan. He was in uh, Hong, uh, what you call in uh, Canton, and then suddenly when partition came. So. It was not a customary in those days that the, the bosses will never allow the family. So it used to be a trip of two and a half years. You used to travel by a ship on a deck, not even a room, go for a job, maybe get 50 rupees including uh, lodging, boarding and all that, do a trip of two and a half years or three years, and then come back and with a small bonus then have three months, four months holiday or again go back and leave the family.
2: Why was it that the Sindhis from Hyderabad are the ones that travelled or came abroad? No, why, why from there specifically?
1: Because they used to take all from Hyderabad itself. It used to be sort of a discrimination at that time. And not only that, you see Sindhi, We there was also this, uh, the upper grade, lower grade, like I'm Daswani. There was a caste which is called Nagarani. They are top of the world. They were used to with number one, you know, blue blood. Then this Batani, this and we come number four or five. But we are Bhaiwan. Now, if any Bhaiwan girl marries a boy who is just five miles away from Hyderabad, they will the the community will not attend. They will object. A cousin of mine who was in charge of Harila's Bombay so he passed by he said you want to go to Hong Kong I said yes so I said I'll give you 100 we'll give you 100 rupees I said, my father was there he said he has just come from Malta with the salary of 200 rupees so if he goes on a second trip that means experience he should get 250 rupees so finally he said all right 150 rupees I told my father I'm not going to go around look hunt for a job I said accepted 150 rupees I'll go that time 150 rupees were 180 hong kong dollars when I came I came in 1955 I think they started their own business maybe after the war was over and that time business was booming tailoring because uh, during the crisis in korea all the american uh, Navy and all this used to come over here, to and they used to buy suits and gifts, and then that time America was rich, everybody had money. That that was the time that uh, the all these Sindhi retailers, in, they were all in tailoring. And now it's phase out. You see, now that was the business. I that two shops: one was for ladies, one was for the men's, and. Uh, and they expanded very, very rapidly, the Harilas. And when I came in 1955 uh, in June, in three months' time, they had already bought this uh, Waterloo uh, land, and which was really very cheap. They bought $150,000 on Hong Kong, you know. <laughs> and then they moved there, and there was a big party. Now they have redone that. They They have two houses now. But that was the year when I came, they were all together. And as a matter of fact, our uh, mace used to be also at their house. We used to go to their place. And it would be very difficult to all the horses sitting, mother sitting. And you could not sit and talk. And you just go and eat and get out. Fifteen minutes, you take your meal and out. And it was the same case in the night also. Eight o'clock, you go. Our tea used to come from the main house the the uh, the boys quarter were separate we are all uh, imported laborers you know and you won't believe that we were 22 people we had only one loo <laughs> and you used to get up 5 o'clock in the morning to take bath and get ready to if you reach later than 9 o'clock every day then you are on a record
2: but you are saying that when the hariliras came here they came here to work
1: No, no, they didn't. uh, Their father had a business, I think, in China. And then after the war, I think they... they Maybe father passed away. I don't know know that far, you see. But they... At one stage when they were in Hong Kong, all the brothers were working.
2: So it seems like, you know, as the Sindhi community established itself here over the years, they went back and brought their fellow Sindhis.
1: Yeah, all Sindhis the same thing. No, because you see what happens. Now, all the uh, original lot Sindhis who came as a labor, as, as a migrant workers, you see. And they, they found an opportunity. They started their own business. Then they brought some more people. So if you go back in the history, that at one stage Harilas uh, were working also. So there they are open, their own business. Now, how many people they brought because they had... Uh, about 40 people working at that time. So 40 people out of 40, 10 left or 5 left,
3: they, then they opened their own business. They brought another migrant. <laughs>
2: have indeed had a long and intricate relationship with Hong Kong, but they are just one community in the growing and evolving diaspora of Indians here in Hong Kong. Raj Sital is the president of the Council of Hong Kong Indian Associations. Here's his take.
0: Well, it's actually quite diversified. I mean, you had the traditional... Groups that have been here for a number of years. Uh, I mean, I, I would say the Punjabi community probably have been here longer than even the Sindhi community. Uh, they were here with the military forces, with the police force, long before the uh, you know the way there were only a few Indian tr- Sindhi traders in Hong Kong. Uh, the Parsi community, of course, have been here for a long time as well. I mean, they're, they're the original roots. Uh, of course, that co- community is relatively small. and uh, The Gujarati community uh, has been here for um, more than one generation, and they more they're more of them are probably involved in the diamond and Jewelry trade, um, but you know it's diversified. So we have Rajasthani's, we have Maharashtraans. It's, it's 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 growing. I mean, just since the handover, the Indian community has grown from something like twenty to twenty-three thousand strong. It has more than doubled now. I would imagine the community um, of Indian background would be around forty-five, fifty thousand strong. Of course, this encompasses not just Indian passport holders. You know, most of the long-term residents in Hong Kong have uh, have UK passports after the whole um, after the handover, and uh, quite a number of them have actually now. Uh, uh, been able to uh, achieve naturalisation and have been granted SAR passports as well.
2: Mm. So it's people of Indian origin, as it were. Exactly. Um, How integrated are these these sub-Indian communities? Are they integrated at all?
0: Uh, Well, they have... I mean, the communities tend to mix among themselves, but but when it comes to overall uh, unity in the community, we try to achieve it through the council and uh it's 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 much easier to speak with one united voice when we need to request things from from the government or we need to work with particular other with different communities or other ethnic minorities and we've been able to achieve that the council has been um in our operation for 30 years almost uh we had um one president for almost the entire time of that in fact i took over around 3 or 4 years ago uh, prior to that it was dr harry Harila, uh who was who was the council president and um it was quite an honor for him for him to pass on the baton to me and I hope that I'm able to continue in, in, in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. I
2: asked Raj his thoughts on whether the Indians were becoming slowly more integrated with the other communities of
0: Hong Kong. The integration is growing um, the, as, as the, uh, Hong Kong becomes a more internationalized city uh, and more and more of us are second and third generation of uh, Hong Kong belongers who actually speak the language. I mean, you know, there was always talk in the earlier times about discrimination, but I always found that if you can communicate with the local people, Discrimination was never a point. In fact, they accepted you readily. It was more of a question of misunderstanding and not being able to uh, communicate. Um, so, so it's it's, it's definitely improving. It, but the but the composition also of the Hong Kong community has is slowly evolving. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the community has grown, uh, doubled in numbers so in the last uh, seventeen years. Uh, but a quite a number of those are actually expatriates um, coming into work for multinational companies and senior positions. So they are also. Uh, of course, they mix very well with the with the international expatriate community. I know, growing up in the '70s and the '80s, uh, there was always a uh, you know people ethnic minorities having problems shopping, going into restaurants, or being discriminated against. I mean, you don't hear any of that anymore. I think um, the, the, the the ability for them to be is, is far greater today.
2: Mm. How influential would you say is the South Asian voice, and has that changed?
0: Uh, it's growing. I think as the community size increases uh, South Asian of course I'm including um, everybody from the Indians the Pakistanis Nepalese uh, the the size I mean we, we probably number now about a couple hundred thousand people so so the um, the specific areas whether it's community service or the arts or or broadcasting um, these are sort of more areas that um, uh, there's the government is definitely taking an interest in the views of the South Asian community very much so <laughs>
3: अपना सीना ताने अपना सीना ताने मंजिल कहां कहां रुकना है ऊपर वाला जाने ऊपर वाला जाने bante jaye hum se lani jaise ek darya toofan sar pe lal topi japani ye badlon anglistani sar pe lal topi rusi phir bhi dil japani
2: in other countries in the west in let's say the USA Canada wherever um south Asians are considered a community apart from other communities you know they're considered a community um, that includes again all the different communities of south asia whereas i get the feeling that in hong kong perhaps the indians are distinct from the other south asians am i correct or is that not accurate i,
0: I wouldn't say so it's just that we we seem to, maybe we tend to come across that way because i think uh, the the indian community is probably a little bit more organized and has been here for a lot longer. I mean, for simple thing. I mean, let me give you a simple comparison. The Indian Chamber was established 62 years ago, and in, in the eyes of the Hong Kong government, were considered a local chamber uh, because of the amount of trade the Indians did, um, you know, supplying Hong Kong and Chinese-made products all over the world. And as early as the Early 60s, we were given the right to issue certificates, of origins, and more recently, doing trade declarations and other things, which are which are only actually in the hands of the four major uh, chambers. I mean, namely the General Chamber, the Federation of Hong Kong Industries, the Chinese Manufacturers Association, and the Chinese Chamber of Commerce, and we're the only. Local, non local, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, that is allowed to do that. I mean, none none of the other major chambers here, whether you be Australian, Canadian, American, has this right because we're considered as part of an integral part of Hong Kong and we're part of the local community. Now, as opposed to that, the Pakistani Chamber of Commerce, for instance, was only established last month. You know, I mean, it's not that there were no Pakistanis in Hong Kong for so many years, but I think because of, um, we were able to take advantage of the, of, 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 the trading situation in Hong Kong, our ability to, to finance trade and so on over many, over many years, uh, you know, decades, uh, that we have reached that le- level of, uh, uh, coordination, so to speak, because of the affluence to, to, to have this, Infrastructure in place. I mean, uh, while the other South Asian uh, business organisations are just starting up, we we already have four offices in Hong Kong and we're well established and you know sixty-two year old history. And uh, I think when it comes to trade in particular, uh, the government is very aware of the you know the contributions that that the Indians have made. Mm -hmm.
2: So where do you think we go from here?
0: Uh, Going moving forward, I would like to see a, a better integration. Of, of, ethnic minorities in, in, into Hong Kong by getting them to start with back their government jobs. Because this is one thing that, you know, I personally and even on the community basis is trying to push for. As you know, pre 97, you don't have to be, uh, re, uh, be uh, fluent in Chinese and in uh, Cantonese in the sense that you are spoken, yes, but you didn't have to read and write it. And a, a lot of uh, senior civil servants were actually off. South Asian origin. But after 97, it became a, a compulsory that you had to read and write the language. And as such, a lot of these more, the older generation was taken aback. I mean, for instance, myself, I was never formally educated in Chinese by, by uh, literally physical recognition and memory I know about two hundred Chinese characters, so if you show me a newspaper, I know the word for china, I know the word for 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 big, small whatever you know simple I mean like maybe the equivalent of a junior school thing but i but but you know it, it my main means of communication is th- through through the spoken word and uh, but it's nice to see uh coordinating efforts by the government to actually try to reintegrate ethnic minorities into sil- different parts of civil service where the, the, the reading and writing is not that important as long as they speak the local language and they 're able to communicate with their superiors they can come back i mean we see it happening now slowly in the disciplinary forces in places like customs and and, 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 and so on and that 's a good sign, and we hope that will further improve and also as um next generation continues to grow we're now encouraging them more to be more assimilated more integrated by making sure they know the language and and we see that it's become a big priority among uh, ethnic minorities as well and is good something for my my two daughters for instance you know i ensure i made sure that when they were going through school they were learning chinese that that they were able to at least uh do that because it's 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 a skill that is very necessary if you want to continue to live and work in hong kong in the past it wasn't that important you know because you had the the government um, civil servants hierarchy, which was all colonial-based, because it was pre ninety-seven, it was part of the you know the British government, and in English was all that mattered. Today, I think one reason also why I serve on, uh, you know, I'm always asked to serve on a number of different government uh, boards, is because uh, people are just more comfortable speaking the local language. And when we have meetings, we don't need it to be conducted in English, or I don't need a translator because I'm able to communicate them in the in, in, in the local mm-hmm. language, and you get your ideas across better if you're able to speak in your first language. And I think, um, you know, it, it goes a long way to its integration.
2: That's great. So, Raj, besides learning Chinese, um, what would you say are the priorities for the younger generation of South Asians here in Hong Kong?
0: I think, you know, uh, it's, again, integration includes a big part of its education, and we've had numerous discussions with the Education Department, with the Eddie, you know, the Secretary for Education, um, on how to f- better integrate this, how to get um, more of our students into local schools. But first they need the language skill sets. You know, it's almost like a vicious circle. Because if, if you're if you're not well-versed in the language, how do you, how you thought mathematics or any other la- or science in, in Chinese? So we're trying to do that, and, and we're trying to get them involved in, um, you know, trying to, Bring the teaching of Chinese to, 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 to more within the environment of the community, so we're the one who suggested that you know th- uh, places like temples and community centers where where the ethnic minorities do congregate that that you know some maybe a room in these areas like you know we have um, you know among the Indian community with the India Club India recreationals uh, uh, Club, uh, the Hindu temple in Happy Valley the Sikh temple in, in, in Happy Valley uh, you know where a part of that can be used to, to as, for classrooms. To, to because, you know, because the community does come to these areas and, uh, you know, where they can be taught at least basic language skills. Another area that we're working very closely with the government and thanks to the support of, in particular, the Chief Secretary, is, is, it's, um, we've identified a piece of land in West Calhoun to build a Hindu community center, uh, which we're now in the final stage of negotiation, uh, to, 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 to get the land so that we can start building. And we've already have committed of funds, mainly from the Indian community, uh, for, for, for the construction of, uh, of a five-story building.
2: India has just come out of five weeks of voting to choose a new government. It was a turning point in history, not only because of the outcome of the national elections, but because this was the biggest democratic election in the history of the planet. But what's sad is, although there are so many Indians here in Hong Kong, none of them could vote because the Indian government doesn't allow its overseas citizens to vote by proxy.
0: One point that's always been brought up with, uh, you know, we just had a recently a new Indian council general uh, appointed in Hong Kong and, uh, you know, a very dynamic person, um, you know, he's he's very pragmatic and he's very forward-looking and he very much wants the Indian community in Hong Kong to integrate, you know, you know, you know be, be more aware and I mean, he always tells us, you know, you're, you're ambassadors for India and you should be, uh, looking towards and how to promote India. In, in and we always tell them, we always say that, you know, if, at least for those of us who hold Indian passports, we should be allowed to vote in Indian elections. Because they, even though you hold Indian passports, uh, if you live abroad from India, you're not allowed to vote. Uh, which is, which is, I, I think is highly unusual. If you look at the, um, all the other countries that, that, that are, uh, uh, that are represented in Hong Kong, uh, in fact, most of the council generals here encourage their, their respective citizens to vote in elections, and you even have Asian um, politicians standing for election who actually come to Hong Kong to canvass, of you know, because because there's such a large of, um, number of their community here. So, so it's somewhere that we actively encourage the Indian government to to allow um, Indian citizens uh, to 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 vote overseas. Yeah.
2: But I'm assuming that hasn't gotten anywhere.
0: Uh, it's an ongoing effort, you know. It's, I mean, you know, I, up until a few years ago. Uh, Indian, uh, the Indian diaspora who had held foreign nationality, uh, because India does not allow due nationality, had very limited rights in India. And over the last few years, uh, you know, the, the the whole concept of an overseas Indian citizen. Has been established, and today we we are all allowed to hold uh, OCI booklets, uh, which give us a lifelong visa to visit India. And apart from uh, very minor areas, we're not allowed to get involved in is one is voting, and the other one is uh, the purchase of agricultural land. Uh, we're allowed to do everything that an Indian citizen is allowed to. So, so it's an evolving process. You've got to remember, India is a huge country. I mean, one. One famous, uh, you know, one quote that I always, which I've read recently, that I've used quite often, is that between this election and the last election, uh, the number of Indian vote- registered voters has grown by, um, over 100 million people. And, and that's, that, that is, uh, amazing. If you consider that there are 800 million voters in India, you know, it, it's, 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 a, uh, I I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge animal. And, and, you know, you know, it may move slowly, but it'll get
3: there. <laughs> लहर चले, चले जीवन की लहर चले जीवन की लादा है जो बैठ किनारे पूछ वतन की पूछ वतन की चलना जीवन की कहानी रुकना मौस की निशानी सर पे लाल तो पीरूसी फिर भी दिल है हिदसतान मेरा जूता है जापानी ये पदलून इंग्लिश तानी सर पे लाल तो पीरूसी फिर भी दिल है हिंदुस्तानी मेरा जूता है जापानी दिल शहजादे बिगड़े दिल शहजादे। हम सन पर जा बैठे। जब जब करे इरादे जब जब करे, इरादे। जब जब करे इरादे। I पहचानी a वालों को God, I am a man of God, I am a है रानी। सर
1: And you've been listening to the inaugural episode of Yanto Yan, produced and presented by Ranita Mahocha Hora. wise, uh, may